Welcome to The Checkup. I'm Danielle Houston, a benefits advisor at Propel Insurance, and this is my podcast where we explore all kinds of topics related to employee benefits and human resources. As I've mentioned earlier, I'm exploring some different themes this year to build an informative encyclopedia of sorts around subjects that are complicated and yet very impactful for decision makers and purchasers of healthcare. I'm excited to have with me today two pharmacy experts from Cambia, who is the parent company of Regents Blue Shield. They operate in four states currently. That would be Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Utah. So they're here in our backyard in the Northwest. We talk a lot about pharmacy when it comes to your benefit plans. The rapidly increasing costs. I heard 20% earlier as we were priming for this. I'm seeing some clients more and more getting to 25 and 30% of overall spend. How do we proactively design plans to manage these costs? And how do we help employees understand and and help them shop to make some really well-informed decisions? It's easy. Super easy, right? (laughs) So here to talk about the big changes and transparency and maybe even some legislation specific to pharmacy are Jason Canning from Cambia Pharmacy Sales and Chris Brown of MedSavvy. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Jason has several years of experience in pharmacy benefits, and Chris also has a long history of pharmacy work in retail and pharmacy benefit space. So I'm going to let them tell us a little bit about their background. Jason, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go ahead and get started. Uh, Jason Canning, I'm actually based out of our, the Regent Utah office. Um, been in the pharmacy PBM space, prescription benefit management mm-hmm. space for Almost 23 years now. Wow. Where does it go, the time? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about you, Chris? I, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a young guy. I'm only 22 years in oh. pharmacy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, lifelong Oregonian, lived here my whole life. Didn't think I'd end up in the business. but Who did? Who did. And uh, <laughs> I got a job in 97 for a mail service pharmacy. It sold to Walgreens. Oh. I worked for them. I uh, worked at a PBM called Express Scripts, even did some long-term care pharmacy work, and then kind of some light PBM consulting at my last employer. And within the Cambia family, I work for MedSavvy, which is sort of a transparency and quality tool for members. And it's a pretty great tool that we're going to talk about today for people that don't know. They might have it embedded in their plan, and maybe they've never seen it. Maybe they're self-funded and they need it. So I'm excited to peel that back a little bit. Really glad to have you both, and also really appreciate that Cambia and Regents are working with me to bring this to anybody who's listening. Um, We know that anybody who touches benefits is talking about pharmacy, and if they're not, then we probably aren't doing something right. And I say that we like... As a benefits advisor, the talk of pharmacy spend seems like this, you know, it's this gargantuan beast that keeps getting larger, and sometimes it makes me feel a little bit lightheaded to talk about because it's just so much money, right? Um, So I'm hoping that the both of you can help us with some of that today. So let's first start with a really high, like a 30,000-foot view on what does pharmacy spend look like today? Where are we? Well, you know, I kind of think about it so with the years in the business, I think about it a little bit historically. In the late 90s, uh, pharmacy was the most used benefit. It still is today, but that pattern of utilization has changed enormously. In 99, about, if you were lucky, half of your prescriptions were generics. 
and half were brands. They were pills. They were kind of expensive because a lot of people were taking them, but individual claims were not super duper expensive. Now, since then, as patents have expired and new drugs, particularly biologics and biotech drugs have come to market, that mix for an employer has changed. So now, if you have 100 prescriptions on your plan, 87, 88, 89 of those will be a cheap generic that's maybe 10 or $15, might even be under your copay. Then you've got about 10 of those that are brands, but maybe two, 300 bucks, not too bad, members paying 40 or 50, and then you get to those specialty drugs. And these are the ones that are driving the conversation and driving uh, both the conversation by plans and politically, because these drugs average about $5,000 a month. And it's hard to craft a plan design that allows people access, but also manages the affordability for the plan. And that's really what's been the conversation starter on pharmacy in the last four or five years. Right. And I would say it seems that there are still a lot of people who take specialty drugs and really don't understand how expensive they really are. Uh, and, and, that's, and that, again, is probably something for a totally different podcast, or maybe we get into that with med savvy, but how do you explain to someone that they have an $8,000 drug that they, yeah, you know, they can't get it for a $50 copay? Just to throw a, a number out there, Lipitor, which for a long time was sort of the most successful drug ever out in the marketplace, treating millions of people in the U.S., I think it peaked at around $4 billion in sales. Humira, the number one drug in the U.S. today, is about $15 billion just for that one drug. And that's only $15 billion in the U.S. There's even more internationally. Yeah, and Humira, I mean, we see that pop up on a monthly basis. Almost every client has it on their top 20. And it's usually six, dollars $7,000 a month. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we stand today with the pharmacy spend. Clients who are self-funded care a lot obviously, because they're, they get to see exactly how much this costs and drug rebates become a big part of the conversation and, a, and a, an attraction to employers who are self-funding. It's getting a lot of airtime recently and federally. We've heard, and I think we've, we've seen a couple tweets maybe about drug rebates. What kind of changes do you see coming there? You know, re- rebates, to, to your point, rebates have become a very uh, politically uh, hot button. You know, the, the Congress is, is focusing on that even just this past week, week and a half ago. There was a, a Senate subcommittee hearing uh, with, with the top five CEOs of the top five PBMs uh, discussing different you know, drug pricing in general and what the, the pharmacy and the PBMs are doing about drug pricing. Rebates did become a big topic within that. Uh, where we see rebates going, there's a lot, there's been lots of discussions really recently on point of sale rebates. There's been lots of discussions around, you know, 100% pass through of rebates to to clients. The point of sale rebates, that one, there's some mixed messaging whether that's a benefit for clients. There there's some studies out there that show that it would it would help 13% of members save money, but 87% would see an increase, primarily through uh, premium increases. You know, essentially you're shifting money from right. from one to the other. You know, and, and that can be uh, looked at from both sides of the, the fence is that 
you know, th that 13% in, in many cases could be this, the, the sickest patients, right? So right. They're, they're, they could be on those specialty medications that probably need the, the most help. The flip side is is that you're, you're, could, you potentially will see an increase in the form of premiums for the vast majority of people. Interesting. Because rebates are one of those things, you know, everybody wants to talk about them if they have access to them. And we never really know anyway. Are they getting Are they getting everything back? Where does that rebate money come from in the first mm -hmm. place? You know, could we have purchased that drug at a cheaper price in the beginning? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then that's some of the challenges with rebates is even some of the discussions recently regarding, you know, pass-through rebates. Uh, you know, the other discussions we're starting to see in the market is, what is a rebate? How do we define a rebate? It starts to get into the semantics of the pharmacy business of rebates versus other, yeah, other, other, other admin fees, manufacturer other admin fee. Money. Yeah, there, there's other sources of funding from manufacturers to to PBMs and to pharmacy vendors that can have an impact on that. So, what is the overall impact? Yeah. What do you think the overall impact will be to employer plans? we see some of these changes coming. I, I personally foresee the discussion becoming more prominent here in the near future. And I, I see rebates moving, the industry moving away from rebates. Really? The challenge I see with that, though, is it doesn't affect the overall cost. Mm -hmm. The actual list price of a drug is not impacted. Okay. So there, there'll be some movement in the industry, and there, it'll, it'll, be, uh, it'll have some impact. Okay. So the other impact that we are hearing more about too, and it's a little hopeful, we can be hopeful about some things in pharmacy, right? Biosimilars? Yeah. I mean, if you Google it, there's a lot of stuff that comes up. What are they? Sure. So I'm, I'm going to take that one, and it, it kind of relates to rebates in the sense that one of the knocks on biosimilars, we have low adoption of them. And what biosimilars are, and in, in your typical pill, you have brands and generics, and the brand product gets a patent, and ultimately a generic manufacturer comes along, and they prove chemically that their pill is identical to the brand, so the pharmacy can substitute without doing any kind of work. The average or typical pill molecule has about 100 atoms in it. A biotech drug, which is where you would get a biosimilar, is somewhere between 1,000 and 300,000 atoms. So the, the molecule itself is much more complex, and so you can't have a simple exact copy like you can with generics. So the follow-on drugs that replace or could replace the biotech or specialty drug are called biosimilars. Okay. They're not exactly the same, but they're similar therapeutically. And the FDA has built a pathway for those to come to market the problem is that they're not interchangeable. None of the ones that are on the market today are interchangeable, but more are coming. And as we get used to seeing them, because they have brand names, they have names that are not just chemicals, and they're typically 30 to 40% less. In Europe, where they more tightly regulate availability and essentially pick winners and losers on drugs, uh, in the case Humira, that drug I mentioned earlier, in the Nordic countries, they're getting about 80% off on Humira. In Europe, where they do multi-tender bidding, they're getting around 75% off. So if you think about here in the U.S., where we're spending $15 billion, when those biosimilars come to market, 
And right now, for that drug, it doesn't look like it's for a couple of years, 2023, we can be hopeful that we're going to be getting 40, 50, and maybe as competition intensifies, 60 or 70% off. And that's a real savings for a plan. Real savings. Do you think the FDA will okay that here? So there are four biosimilars approved for Humira, but because Humira has over 130 patents on it, the patent for the original innovation for the treatment, that's expired. But all of these manufacturer patents, and that's a whole other topic, the mm-hmm. patent thicket there, but all of these other interlocking patents, are they're hard to get through. So the four manufacturers who are approved have essentially made a deal with AbbVie and said, okay, we'll come to the market in 2023. You will license the patents that are still in force, and that's when we'll sell the product. And these are the same companies that are selling those drugs in Europe at a far lower price than Humira. So we'll get them eventually. And trust me, I'm frustrated that we don't have them today. There's one that's uh, Behringer Ingelheim is a manufacturer. They're still fighting in court with AbbVie to bring their product sooner. I wish them luck, frankly. Yes. I think we all wish them wish them luck. Something has to happen. So how would new plan designs maybe accommodate that? Well, and, and so I didn't really connect it back to the rebates that Jason was talking about, but one of the challenges has been if you're a plan and you're looking at bringing a biosimilar on formulary or making it part of your plan design, do you, and we really have, right now they're treated as brands effectively, but should there be a lower copay? If biosimilars are going to cost less, should we lower the copay like we do for generics? And if it's 30 or 40% less than the, the branded drug, maybe we should offer a little bit less. And if your copay is $50, you could give away that entire copay because you're saving far more than that. So that's sort of one piece of it. The other piece of it, though, is that if rebates do start to go more to the point of sale, then people are going to pay more attention to what the cost is because they might see the lower cost in their own pocket and sort of steer towards biosimilars. You know, from a plan design perspective, I would recommend when you're looking at your formulary, maybe in 2020, but certainly by 2021, if there's biosimilars, look for PBM plans that don't have them behind the brand where you have to take Humira before you can try the biosimilar. Make sure that they're getting equal footing. Those are the kinds of things you can do to sort of make sure your plan is going to support them. We've done it with other prescriptions and formularies. Obviously, it would make a lot of sense to push those up front. But I am starting to see like eight-tier pharmacy plans in my in my head as you guys talk about this. It's kind of where we're headed. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, in a way, Danielle, that's kind of some of what MedSavvy is trying to combat against in the sense that as plan designs get more and more complex, people get confused about right. how much their drug is going to cost. And so kind of our idea is if we show people, here's what the drug costs you, here's what it costs the plan, we help make them better shoppers, but try and put it in very simple language. And MedSavvy is an online resource. It is a, can we call it a, like an online pharmacy sort you, you know you can we're we're licensed as a far as a non-dispensing clinical pharmacy okay. so the four pharmacists who work for med savvy can talk to anybody in the region's area and practice pharmacy with them and counsel them and call a physician and change a medication where appropriate because they're licensed in those areas 
got it. But the whole idea with MedSavvy is kind of like what we've seen with some other healthcare transparency tools is that you create your online medicine cabinet. Yep, or it's created for you. The drugs just get pulled right in from Regents Claims. Awesome. And then you can see exactly what you're taking, exactly what the doses are, and then start to do some comparison, right? right. What else is available? And, and the, the piece that I think that we kind of think of as our secret sauce is that pricing is something that any transparency tool could offer. This drug costs $50, this one is $85. We grade the medications A, B, C, D, and F, just like you saw in high school. So that a drug that's an A means that pharmacists who have looked at the published clinical evidence and they look at nothing but the published evidence, it's no, uh, it's no economics, it's just how well it works, we assign it an A. And if it's an off-label use and has no evidence, that might be an F. might even be harmful to take it that way. And so we're trying to give people cost and a trusted quality indicator so they can make a good decision about what the right fit is. Which is great because, you know, when I talk to members directly, there's often this sense of, you know, a little not quite sure they want to trust a cost transparency tool if it's only telling them about the cost. Yeah. Because our inclination, of course, is if I'm paying more, I'm getting better quality, mm. which is not always the case. No. I like, too, on MedSavvy, I've seen several different examples of, you know, and I'll use uh, type 2 diabetes as an example. Good one. If you have type 2 diabetes and you put in your insulin, it's going to tell you that the A-rated thing that you can do is manage your diabetes with exercise and a great diet and that is free and yep. it's an A rating. It, it's fact it's the only A rating for treating diabetes. Diet and exercise is the best thing that you can do. That's why we put it there front and center. And I think that is a great reminder to people if you want to spend less in healthcare, let's let's take good care of ourselves. So the pricing is important, the quality is there. I think um, talking a little bit about coupon programs, which comes up a little bit when you're talking about rebates. We hear a lot of members talk about coupons as well. They look for them and, and try to take them in. But, you know, I hear from both sides it can feel good to the member, but are they really helping us when it comes to pharmacy costs? Yeah, coupons are, are very similar to rebates, as we talked about previously, that they can benefit and they can be harmful as well. Some of the challenges we have with, with coupons are, you know, which coupons will apply or if they apply to accumulators. And when I say accumulators, deductibles, out-of-pocket costs or max out-of-pockets, should they apply to that? The, the general stance in, in, the, in the industry has primarily been that they don't apply, that only dollars that you're actually paying you know, from your own pocket would apply to deductibles or accumulators. However, there has been some recent legislation. Virginia passed a, a law recently that is barring that practice, so they will be applied to accumulators. Um, there's pros and cons to that. It would obviously on some of these high-cost specialty drugs that, that Chris was mentioning that you'll... you'll hit your deductible faster or your max out of pocket faster. So there, there could be some benefit to a member from that standpoint. Now, all of those are also, you know, written into premiums and overall pharmacy costs. So they're kind of similar back going back to what we were talking about on point of sale rebates, though, those, 
the, the costs have to be shifted somewhere in those scenarios. So there can be some disadvantages. Now, specifically from a member standpoint, you know, a member on these high-cost specialty medications, when they have $100, $200, $300 copays, or in some cases they may have a coinsurance. Like 20%. 20% of a three or $4,000 medication. Huge. Uh, then we start looking at adherence issues and concerns about the overall health of the member. What's the, the, the long-term impact of not taking this medication? Or, you know, what's the impact to that on, on medical costs in the future? And overall cost. So there can be a benefit there if you can help a member or a patient become more adherent. There, there can be a, a benefit, and it can be very, very beneficial. Fair enough. So I think one of the first things that we would want um, an employer who's wondering, you know, what more could they be doing in their own pharmacy plan? Obviously, if if they are with Regents today, then they might have some tools that we need to dive into that they may not know are there to promote. If they're not a Regents client, obviously, you know, that's something that can be explored as well. <laughs> uh, you know, I, would, I can give you my phone number you if you need have, it. Sure, go ahead and tell it to the people. We'll make it available online as well, your cell phone. But no, it is, it is true that there are, these are the kinds of resources that are their game changers when it comes mm -hmm. to health plan spend and I don't think any employer is in a place or should feel like they're in a place where they have no choices or there are no solutions they might have to just build up a little courage to do something different than right. maybe what's been yeah. done before yeah and, and to, to that point of doing something a little bit different than historically we've seen you know for so many years on the pharmacy specifically on the self-insured market there's been this extreme focus on discounts and, and high rebates, right? That's when we're, when we're evaluating a client. Mm -hmm. that, that's where the, the, the focus has been. However, you know, we really need to change the narrative from, from price to value. So, and these are really questions that advisors should be asking, mm -hmm. right? If, you know, a broker, a consultant is coming mm -hmm. to you and only bringing you your high-level comparison of your monthly and annual costs, but not getting into what's hiding in the couch cushions with pharmacy, right? right? right. Then <laughs> we're not really being nearly as thorough and helpful right. to our clients. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's something, in all fairness, I don't think most employers know those questions to ask mm -hmm. so they need they need us to bring right. that to yes. them for sure and you know hopefully not wait until they have the year of huge pharmacy spend and then they're looking at yeah. panic and trying to do something different so that you know not everyone sees that 10% increase because of a year of pharmacy going sideways but so i think um, we've got some good at least next steps for employers and they may now you know now you may have a couple of questions to ask right if you're not Absolutely. hearing about pharmacy yes. then that is a problem and as an advisor you need to be bringing this to people and making some resources available um, to make med savvy much more in the forefront and um, helping people understand that they really can be empowered we just got to lead that horse to water that's right all right. Well, thanks for joining me for this part, this episode. This will be one of five with Regents. And I appreciate your time and your expertise. And thanks for checking into the checkup today. 
Thanks, Danielle. Thank you.